What's happening? This is the Tap In Podcast. We are live inside of the Tap In Studio. This is uh, a special show, man. This is this is a this is gonna be a good one. I know I say that every week, but this one is a special special one that I've been trying to get um, done for a little while, and he finally blessed us with his presence. <laughs> Mr. Rabbi Baruch, how you doing, man? I'm great, thank God. Thank Good. you for having me on. I appreciate yeah, it. No problem, man. No problem at all. So I know this is this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have for a little while, just so I can educate myself. And I know in the couple of weeks back, it was a lot of press about uh, Nick Cannon, uh, Deshaun Jackson, and, uh, and Ice Cube, where they were saying some... I guess there were anti-Semitic uh, things that they were saying. And so I, I'm i just ignorant to the fact I don't know what anti-Semitism is that? Semitism. Semitism. I don't know what exactly what that is. Um, so that's why I reached out to you. I wanted to get a under, better understanding of what does that exactly mean and what what is that exactly? Can you explain? Sure. Anti-Semitism is any kind or any form of anti-Jewish talk, actions, uh, any kind of insinuation to belittle and cause hate to the Jewish people. Okay. Uh, yeah, anti-Semitism is, is put, been put around. Put it a little closer. Anti-Semitism okay. has been around for, man, since pretty much since the beginning of time. Um, and that's a conversation that we can have maybe, you know, that in and of itself. But the reason why anti-Semitism is so dangerous, uh-huh. besides personally being Jewish and a rabbi that it affects me, is it's usually um, a precedent that there's other things coming down the line. Anti-Semitism would be kind of a um, an effect and not the actual cause. Bigotry is a bigger problem. Mm. Any kind of hate is a huge problem. Unfortunately, the Jewish people have had to deal with that for thousands of years since they've been a nation. And it usually doesn't end there. So anti-Semitism in and of itself is a terrible thing and should never be tolerated. But, And I think that is a terrible, terrible thing. But we can't forget that there's a bigger issue at play. That someone who is anti-Semitic isn't just an anti-Jew person. There, there's hate in their heart, right. and that's really what needs to be dealt with, right? When if someone is, God forbid, sick, you can deal with the effect that they have, but you'd rather get to the root of the sickness so that you can eradicate it completely. Otherwise, you're just going to be dealing with symptoms again and again and again. Okay, so anti-Semitism is just basically hate speech or towards Jewish people, right? Okay, okay. And... It, can you explain to me, because I, I heard, I listened to the full interview that Nick Cannon said. I didn't really pay attention to what Ice Cube said and, and, and Deshaun Jackson. What exactly, um, what Nick Cannon said or what did he do that was anti-Semitic? I think what what's between all three of them okay. is insinuating certain tropes, which are certain ideals that have been pushed for a long time in this anti-Semitic culture, which is that Jews are trying to dominate the world and take over the world, that they run the banks and they have all the money and that they make all the decisions and everything is only just to benefit them. And 
that is completely false. Mm. You know, I like to say when people ask me about that, the only domination that we're looking for is to dominate the world with goodness and kindness. That's about as far as we are looking for for world dominion. And that's it. You know, the idea that we control the banks and that we control this or that and that we have this ulterior motive is completely false. Mm. And I know he apologized and I know Deshaun Jackson kind of had to walk what he said back and there was that very interesting dialogue between him and Julian Edelman Mm -hmm. which was great and and I think you know when those things are said anti-semitic tropes are are repeated you have to deal with it right away because it's almost like for example when a child says something you know they want to test the waters oh I got away with this okay then I'm going to push it and I'm going to get away with that and then I'll get away with that well, in this case, these have real-life consequences. God uh-huh. forbid people can get killed, damage to property, who knows what. So that's why when these things were said, you know, right away, these things were t- taken immediately and dealt with. Mm, okay. Okay. All right. So I kind of want to, um, I guess, just get a little bit of the history from, is is Jewish, is it a religion or is it like a, a nationality? Like, what exactly is it? That is an age-old question. Okay, okay. That is a great question. Okay. So what is Judaism? It is a religion, but it's more than a religion. It's like a way of life. So it's really a mixture of both. Judaism is someone born to a Jewish mom Okay. Um, is Jewish. They have a nishama, a soul. Nishama is soul in Hebrew. Nishama. And that's right. And then along with being Jewish, there's also the Torah. The Torah is the Old Testament, the five books of Moses. And... Um, the Torah gives us the blueprint for how we're to live our life. There's rules. You can call it restrictions. I call it the framework of freedom because when you have a certain framework, then it allows you to be the best Jew. And not just a Jewish person, but even anybody. It's not just a gift that the Jewish people have, which is the Torah, but the Torah contains lessons for all of humanity. Mm, There are many laws and ideals that are talked about in the Torah and explained by great rabbis throughout the generations that are beneficial to everybody, mm. such as a judicial system, um, laws about you know no murder or stealing or adultery, treatment of animals, all of these things. That's not just a way for a Jewish person to live. This is a way for anybody that they can appreciate and live a good and um, impactful life in a meaningful way. Yeah, yeah, okay. And... Is there a, um, I guess, Jewish people, right? The nationality comes from Israel? You can have Jews from Israel. You can have Jews from Australia. You can have Jews from all over the place. Okay, so it's just pretty much where you're, wherever you're born and, you're, and your mother has to be Jewish in order for you to be considered Jewish? As far as the Orthodox, yes, that is okay. correct. Okay. Um, Israel, of course, holds a very dear place to our hearts it is our homeland but you don't have to be from israel to be jewish okay okay so i kind of want to just back up a little bit how did you become a rabbi okay so a little bit about myself my parents um were doing outreach we are with um within judaism there are a bunch of different sects there is reform conservative and orthodox within orthodox there's what's called modern orthodox and ultra orthodox i'm not a big fan of the titles but i just want to give you an idea okay we're part of the orthodox um sect of judaism my parents did outreach um we're with a movement called chabad chabad very good and that um 
uh, is really all about understanding how your mind affects your emotions and that your brain is really what's running everything and you got to keep that in charge and ways to meditate and serve God etc and a lot of outreach is what you know that's their main thing is to reach every single Jew wherever they may be in any corner of the world and so my parents did that in uh, south of LA in uh, the South Bay Torrance uh, I know about it yeah, yeah. you know the area yeah I was born in Wilmington so okay Harbor City in, actually. I, I grew up in San Pedro there you so go. Yeah, yeah yeah so we had a they had a congregation there for a little while so my dad and his father and his father etc they were rabbis already for for um, probably over a century mm-hmm. maybe longer um, and also from my mom's side and then you know, I went to Jewish school. I went to get a uh, rabbinic ordination, and I got my rabbinic ordination. It's like a degree to be a rabbi. Mm. Many people get it, but they just might not practice or be a pulpit rabbi. Okay. So I um, went to work, actually. I did not take over in, in a community or a congregation. I did payroll and HR systems, and um, there was an opportunity here in Dallas to help out in the community in the uptown area. It okay. deals a lot with the young Jewish professional, uh, Jewish demographic. And I thought, sure, hey, man, you can talk sports and spirituality in one shot. Yeah. I'm in <laughs> yeah, all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've been here for about five years, my wife and kids, and it's been fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So rabbi is, I guess, synonymous to like a regular church, like a pastor. Okay, so okay, so you're essentially a pastor for the Jewish community. Correct. Cool. And it was a word that you taught me because um, I hear it all the time um, that you taught me when we we talked on the phone or via Skype. Um, you you caught it was a um, a mitzvah. Yeah, it was a mitzvah. Tante, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm awesome. telling you, I want to. I'm telling. I want to get educated on it. So a mitzvah is. Um, dang, if I can remember what it actually means now, it means like, uh, bless you. A mitzvah is a good deed or a commandment. A good deed. Okay. Yes. Okay. Commandment from God. So when you do something good, you've done a mitzvah. Okay. Now, what is a bar mitzvah? Ah. Bar mitzvah, you know, many people when they hear it, they just think celebration. The word bar mitzvah actually means a man who is now responsible for the commandments. So when a boy turns 13, he becomes a bar mitzvah. He is a person who is responsible to do the commandments. Up until that point, it was all educational. It's on the parents to help educate the child to understand, you know, here are the things that we do and here are the things we don't do. At 13, he's now responsible. He's on his own, so to say, and he becomes counted as a man. We celebrate it because it's a very great occasion at 13. Wow. Yeah, I would not say that I'm a man at 13. (laughs) Yeah, that seems young. And he's responsible of the commandments then at that point. Correct. So there's a bunch of different commandments in the Torah that, um, you know, just to give you an idea, different types of prayers that we do require 10 men to be able to do different parts of prayer. At 13 and up, you count towards that 10 men congregation, if you will. The Hebrew word for that is minyan. Mignon. Yes, a minyan, M-I-N-Y-A-N, is a group of 10 or more men. So when a boy turns 13, he can count towards that. Just That's like one example. Okay. Yeah, so a bar mitzvah just means you're responsible to do the commandments. Okay. okay. And then I always see people, I guess, converting to being Jewish. Like, what is what does that conversion period look like? Or what, how do you – because – 
I know in in the in the black church, it's just called you being baptized, right? And once you're baptized, you become now Christianity. And I know Jazz, like she's like super, like she's Christian, right? She's super Christian, like in that, like that's dear to her, right? And it's like where me, I'm not so much um, where I follow a certain religion. You know what I mean? I'm more spiritual. And I'm more like um, just want to be good at heart. You know what I mean? I don't follow necessarily this set of rules or this Bible or this thing. It's more spiritual. So um, when when you uh, when you transition, I guess over to being Jewish, are you like what is that? What is that transition called, or what does that look like? Okay, so that's a great question. First of all, we don't encourage conversion. Because we believe every single person, as they were created, is great. So you can reach your potential as you are. You don't need to be Jewish to be redeemed, or you don't need to be Jewish to reach your full potential. God created you as you, so you can be the best you that you are as you are. Okay. That's just number one. The conversion process is very intense and intimidating on purpose. Not like, God forbid, people are, you know, if you do this, I'm going to beat you up. But it's very intense. It's a lot of information, a tremendous amount of knowledge. And ultimately, there has to be a certain period of time that the person is practicing that type of living because this is literally a completely new way. Mm -hmm. So this can be years of learning and living a religious Jewish life before they actually convert. So it's called the conversion process. There's no special word for it. Okay. Um, but it does take a little while. And we don't. We don't encourage people to convert because we don't... It's not that we don't need you, God forbid, to say you're anything less. It's... But what's wrong with you? You're so great as you. Be the best you. Yeah. You want to incorporate certain ideals from, you know, the Jewish culture and Jewish faith. Go for it. But you don't need to be Jewish to do that. Mm, okay. Because the only person who I know, like, personally that has transitioned or converted is Tiffany, Tiffany Haddish. She's at, she's like, she's like, uh, she calls herself the black Jew. She's a, she's a black Jew. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't, I just don't understand that how, I don't know what she was raised as, but I know that she, she says she's, she's Jewish now. And I'm like, how do you just become Jewish? I thought that was like a, a sacred thing. And it's something like you have to be born into, um, I didn't know that you could just join a Jewish church like that. Um, you can join, but you don't join right away, and all of a sudden they say, okay, you're Jewish. You know, this is something you're going to have to show your interest, and you're going to have to con- constantly show it. And if it's something you really want, you're going to go after it and go after it and go after it. And many times the rabbis will be like, yeah, we don't, we don't want you to do this. You don't really need it. Almost discouraging you because if it's mm. something you really want, then you got to show that you want it. You know, there are some, there is, uh, there is a, a decent amount of, as you said, like black Jews. You know, just recently, Amari Stoudemire, uh, who... A basketball player. You better believe it. Yeah. He just finished his conversion process in Israel. He was playing for, I think, Maccabi Tel Aviv, you know, after finishing the NBA. But mm. he fin- he completely did it, and uh, it's, it's an amazing journey. You can go up and, you know, you can follow him on Instagram, or you can go and Google his journey. It's, it's tremendous. Wow. There's uh, some very interesting Jews who have had that kind of journey, a black Jew, as you said, uh, Nisim Black. He, you got to check him out. So he um, is originally from Washington, I think the Seattle area, not Jewish at all. Um, 
a, just a phenomenal story of, you know, just trying to find his place in life and in the world. And he ended up converting to Judaism. And he's like a rapper. Oh, and he's, okay. so he sings, you know, the lyrics are all about, you know, connecting to God and, and happiness and joy. And G- these are just two, just two of, uh, I'm sure, many, many uh, people who have gone through that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because I, I didn't... I didn't know that. I mean, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know that you could just or. And I was just like, I don't know. I, I just didn't understand it. And, yeah. You know what I mean? I just I didn't understand what that process was. But I wanted to I wanted to kind of dive in back in a little bit more to because um, I know when we talked on the phone, you were saying that that black people and Jewish people like have been arm in arm for like ages and ages. And you even made me do some um, looking up. You told me to look at that Martin Luther King picture on his I Have a Dream speech where it was a Jewish guy next to him. And I'm like, okay, so if this was, because that was 1968 and we're 2020, where did, I guess, the disconnect come in or what happened? Because I always, I always feel like, I always feel like black people as a whole that I feel like we're sometimes just isolated from any other culture, any other race. And I feel like we're on this fight alone and it doesn't feel like we have a bunch of allies. I'm, I'm telling you, not until just recently with this whole George Floyd thing, then I feel like some people are now considered allies and they see like, yo, black people have been like tortured in this country and it feels like nobody really has our back or nobody really comes to our aid or when we publicly say something that we have a problem with then every i feel like a lot of other people um in their movement they jump on and like oh yeah but we've been we've been tortured too and we've been bad and we've been, i'm like and i did i started following this one jewish guy on facebook and he was like this is not the oppressed olympics Everybody has oppression. Everybody has been oppressed. But this is not the oppressed Olympics, and you don't get an award for being oppressed. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to feel equal. Everybody wants to feel like they belong here. They don't want to feel... Nobody likes hate, right? Nobody likes it. Some people, they, they do it, but nobody likes hate. And I'm just like, how can we get back to that where we are arm in arm with the Jewish community? How can we get back to that point? That's a really, really good question. I would say it's probably over my pay grade because okay. you would have to really look at a lot of the socioeconomics and really dive into almost like the decades and the, the days, the months, the years since that time. So I don't know for sure. Okay. I would have to say just from my personal, you know, small readings that I've done and research. I think where it really went is as there was this kind of, I don't know if you want to call it some type of move to the suburbs or things like that, and the desegregation, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and, and causing people on their own to do that kind of put communities in isolation on their own. And when people who used to live together don't live together anymore, the influences on each other start to move away. So you will actually see, I mean, there are still some places where there are, you know, a good integration. Listen, I grew up in California, and I grew up in Southern California, in Los Angeles, and we had plenty of all kinds of 
different races, creeds, etc., on the same street. I mean, in the cul-de-sac that I grew up in, we had a, a Chinese, we had an Indian, we had a nice American couple, we, and we had ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's phenomenal. It's great to have that, and, and it helps. But when you have as a whole where people are just kind of moving off to their own, and then when you're on your own, you're just thinking about as normal because that's what's around you, I think that's where things start to get separated, where people start having that division. Mm. And, you know, I would love for you to tell me more about that from the from your side or from the from the black community side where, you know, staying inner city and things starting to crumble and and really taking a turn for the worse. You know, where did that come from? That's one thing I'd uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Okay. I just want to say on the other one of the other points that you touched on, which is, you know, this oppression Olympics, you know, there's two things that come to mind when I hear that. First of all, the Jews can always claim this has happened to us because for thousands of years, anything and everything has been done between being put into a ghetto, taxed, gassed, murdered, inquisition, pogroms, you name it, it's been done to the Jewish people at some point. So they're not looking for the award. In fact, for the most part, they don't want to even raise kind of like a flag like, yes, this is us. Mm-hmm. It's just part of our culture. And, and what we take from that is truth hurts sometimes. And when you stand for the truth, there's going to be people who are against it. But you got to stay the course and you got to stay no matter what. And from a lot of darkness, a lot of times that's where the light will shine brightest. And from those terrible moments, there has been tremendous growth. So you're right the the oppression olympics is is it's ridiculous mm-hmm. you know everybody needs to look at what's happening and and see how they can help that person that person isn't calling out because they want you to say oh that's happened to me too no they're calling out for help so see how you can help the other person right and and i think that's that's an important thing to think about um w- especially in today's uh, climate where you have that happening a lot, and, and this is being brought up a lot in, in social media and in the news, is what are we taking from it? You know, how are we going about this to help the people who are who are calling out in pain? Mm-hmm. H- how are we helping them? Not, oh, I want to join you too, and I'm also in pain, so let's do this and let's do that. No, 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 no. Yeah. You can deal with that when it's time for you to deal with that. There's an issue right now on the table. How are we dealing with that issue that's on the table? Yeah, and I and I think that's the the um, the issue with people who are the all lives matter people, right? It's like we it's been shown time and time again that for whatever reason that black people are getting shot in the street, right? And and I feel like that's why this BLM movement is so magnetic is, is because this is this is we've been yelling and screaming and saying, hey, we have been we have been killed by the police like this is, is unjustly for a long time. You know, what I mean, and now and now that people are actually seeing it, they're actually being able to witness it, see it on camera and somebody has no gun they're not even a threat and you're being shot and then the all lives matter people is like well doesn't all lives matter black lives matter is not saying your life doesn't matter it's like like you said this is the issue on the table can we deal with the issue with this issue get us help and then we can mobilize and then okay who has another issue 
now that we've got our issue dealt with, okay, now what's the next issue on the table? And I feel like the all lives matter people who, or who, who say that when you say black lives matter, they think it's a, um, it's a strike against other people and other races, which it's, it's not, it, it just isn't. Um, but to touch on what you, what you asked about, you know, things crumbling, I would have to say me personally, right? Because I grew up in LA on the East side of LA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on the East side of LA and then we moved to San Pedro and then I spent three years in San Pedro. And then I, well, I still lived in San Pedro, but I went to school in Los Angeles. I went to Crenshaw High School. Okay. So just me being able to have that dichotomy where I live here, but I go to school here, I was able to see a, little, a lot more or it, it, it opened my eyes. We're in the city of L.A., right? I feel like the lack of resources and the lack of... Um, Things to do, you have like a million, two million people all in this one spot. There's not enough grocery stores. There's not enough malls. There's not enough um, things to do, parks and things like that. And so you have everybody in this, in this, um, lack of a better word, this crab bucket, right? And so you, that's when you start the infighting with, with, with your own people. And then just the whole community crumbles, right? But when I was when I went when I went back home to San Pedro, it was five six grocery stores to one little block. And San Pedro is you know it's a small little city, mm-hmm. but you have a number number of stores. You have the South Bay Mall where you could go to. That's a huge mall, and just that one huge mall would would take care of the South Bay. But when you go to L.A., you have to travel far a little further out to get to that. And most people don't have either transportation or anything. So I, I feel like it's a it's a system set up. And it was and in San Pedro, it was like to go to, to find a liquor store, you would be hard pressed. Like it's only a number of liquor stores there. I know when I lived in San Pedro, we used to have to go to Harbor City to go to a liquor store right on PCH. Um and then I think there was one in San Pedro. When I went to school, I I could walk by five or six liquor stores and I'm like, this is like, this is like program. This is systematically set up like this. And I'm like, why is it like this? Why is there so many fast food places? When I go to Hollywood, there's, when I go to Hollywood, okay, yes, there's a lot of fast food in Hollywood, but you go right up the street to West Hollywood, there's like hardly no fast food restaurants. They're all restaurants where you have to eat. And I think that has something to do with the psychology, the food that you put in your body. And I feel like systematically, we we have no no way out. You know what I mean? Because we're confined to our little blocks and our little neighborhoods, and everyone is trying to. Here's the thing about black people, right? We we are systematically. Um, been 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 torn down right where we don't have the resource we don't have the money right but nobody wants to look poor that Hmm. no black people do not want i don't care they do not want to look poor or look like they're doing bad for no reason at all right so they would i feel like a lot of black people would do whatever they have to do to not look poor or to not look like they're struggling or doing bad Hmm. and and it, it and it's be, I think it's because 
I, I, I want to make sure I'm saying this right. I want. I think it's because black people have been tore down so much that if we could put on the facade or the image that no, we're still doing good, and then you pile that on with there's not enough resources in the place, it just it just becomes an ugly scene. You know what I mean? It just becomes real bad, and then it's a, it's a and then. And then I also think I know for me, speaking for me, that when when you start feeling like that emotionally, then you start projecting your anger out on other people. You start lashing out on people. You start doing things to other people because you're feeling bad or I'm feeling bad now. So now I'm going to lash out and now I'm going to I, I'm, I'm hurting, really. And so now I'm going to say something that's going to hurt you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where. I feel like I'm rambling, but I, but I, I feel like I'm because I, I, I want I want this. No, that's okay. First of all, rambling is good. I'm the rambling rabbi. And yeah, you yeah. Be the rambling podcast. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but it's it. I, I appreciate that because here here's the thing. I'm, you know, I'm trying to make mental notes of all the things you're saying to try to come back to it. I'm sorry, I know it's a but lot. That's I'm fine. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think I think uh, several things here. First of all, kind of like what we touched upon earlier, you can deal with the. Um, Effects, but you got to really get to the root of it and deal with the cause. So, you know, for example, when you said Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, once you start making slogans, you're immediately, you know, cutting out and creating a certain defined space. And even if that is not the point of it, mm-hmm. people are going to take things a million different ways. So, you know, I think the slogan may have upset people and. Maybe there may have been a better way to say it. I don't know. But my point that I want to say is short and is I think, we shouldn't be looking at just the effects. We have to get to the root of it. And this goes in any organization or government. When you look at things that are being said and things that are being taught and encouraged and then they are repeated, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, across all platforms, that's where people get their information from. So if that is based on something that is bigoted, mm-hmm. we have a problem. Mm-hmm. So if it's a black man saying bad things about Jews, if it's a Jew saying bad things about blacks, if it's a Christian, a Muslim, American, I don't care. Whoever it is, if they are going to be spouting off things that are anti-Semitic, hateful, any kind of bigotry, that has to be cut. Right. Because then you get to the point that we're, we're where we are at now. Right. And And to me, you know, I think one of the things that as Jews— and Judaism has really put a real emphasis on is not just education, but what kind of education. And that means, are you living a godly life? Are you living a good and moral life? Period. Mm. End of story. Are you doing that? And again, like I said, you don't have to be Jewish to to do that. When you said you're a spiritual person, Mm -hmm. right? you don't necessarily belong to this faith or that church or anything like that, but you are a spiritual person. My question would then be, does that mean that you are living in a real-world way? Are you living practically in a good way, that you are good to yourself, good to your family, good to others, or not? And however that happens to be, that's what matters the most. Your actions matter most in this world. So if you are going to be doing things that are good, awesome. If you're going to be doing things that are not good but call yourself religious, no, that's not good, and that's not acceptable. And I think that's really... I wish I would see more of that being pushed. You know, this idea of 
let's see more and more and more of people doing acts of goodness and kindness. That has to be the narrative that's being pushed. And if you see people struggling and you see people in pain, how can you help them? Right. What are you doing to help them? Put your money into those kinds of causes. See if you can create a certain kind of leadership committee who can create, you know, a huge thing of volunteers to help in these different communities or with people. All, there's so much good that can be done. You know, I, I compare it with a parent and, to, and a child. Mm-hmm. When a child screams at the parent that they hate them, I hate you. You've done nothing good. You don't even <laughs> love me. Do they mean it? Of course not. But they're hurting. Right. They're in pain. And they don't necessarily know how to express that properly. So instead of getting upset at them, you realize, I, I hear that you're in pain. I hear that you're upset. Let's talk about it. How can I help? Mm. And it's the same thing here that we need to do on a, on a global platform. I hear that you're hurting. How can I help? Yeah. And then when you help, you're encouraging the other person on their own to make the steps necessary to, to get better. Yeah. Right? When you're helping your kid, you don't want to give them everything and do everything for them because then they're not going to learn how to do it on their own. And it's the same idea. So you help with the tools that they will need, and then they grow on their own. This is what needs to be talked about. This is something that needs to be pushed day in and day out. Yeah. I had a conversation, actually, with somebody, and I said after the George Floyd incident, that whole, you know, cop, it was a disaster. And I said, just wait. You, you could call it murder. I'll call it murder. Okay. <laughs> I will call it murder. It was. Okay. And it was it was a horrible, horrible thing. And I said to, to a couple of people I was talking to, you just watch. Within two weeks, we're not talking about it anymore. Mm. And things moved on. And then there was another story. And then there's another story and another story. So if we're going to see change, you have to have consistency. So when things happen, okay, you can't lose sight of that. Sure, the world continues to turn and a new day dawns and a new week and a new month. But if the problem is still there, then we haven't addressed it. We need to make sure that still stays on the table and address it. And again, not just the effect, but go deeper. Go to the cause and then root out the cause. So if we have a uh, systematic type of platform and idea with a roadmap in place to call out all forms of bigotry. You know, that's put out on billboards, and that's what's talked about in music, and that's what we put on movies. I mean, just inundate yeah. our minds, our social media feeds, everything that we consume. If we inundate that with good messages and positive messages, over time, you're going to see the impacts of that in a good way, I believe. And I think that's something I... I, I I'm just, you know, I'm just myself in Uptown. But, you know, that would be amazing if you can see more of that being pushed. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. But I guess my question would be, is that just idealistic? Or are we kind of, um, is that like a real world thing that you think that could happen? I do. I really do. And it's up to the people who have influence to decide to do that. We consume everything and every anything and everything as a society. I can say at least in American society, I can't speak for the world. But we really, I mean, just look at the garbage that, that, that is on your, you know, that's being an ad for this and an ad for that. And, and this person spouts <laughs> this off and this person spouts off, uh, that off. And everybody takes it in. Yeah. Uh, if you put things with meaning in there, I am sure that that would be able to succeed. When you're talking about musicians changing what they're singing about and it's something that's got a more positive tone, actionable items of good, 
yeah, then people start, you know, singing lyrics and they realize, hey, I'm singing something that's that's really good and I can do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can put a, a smile on somebody's face. I can give somebody a hug. Well, maybe not in Corona time, but yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I, could, I could help somebody out when that's what's talked about, you know, uh, in sports or, or, or in movies, more movies about things like that. And who doesn't love a feel-good story? We all love a feel-good story. Right. Uh, everybody's hurting right now. Corona's put a damper. I'm sure everybody's dealing with some kind of sort of depression. We all want a feel-good story. Well, we ourselves can make that feel-good story a reality. So I can't control anything else other than myself. I am always in control of me, just like everybody else is always in control of them. So if every person decides on their own to do something good for somebody else and that means to listen to someone else to understand where they're coming from to learn from that experience and then be there in whatever way possible wow that would be amazing yeah and i don't think it's far-fetched i really really don't um of course it would be something that's much more attainable when you have the bigger influencers you know on a american stage global stage talking about it sure that would be that would be very helpful but yeah. i think it really starts uh each individual making that choice yeah and i i feel like it, it starts from the top down right from the president to the i guess the senators the governors the the mayors the parents you know what i mean i think it starts all the way from the top down and I, I feel like we need a, a change. You know what I mean? There's, there's something that just needs to change, whether that's either the president or we need to change somehow. You know what I mean? Just put some kind of, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I feel like like everybody, like, because I know because I don't go to church like that, right? And so I'm not involved in, like, community programs, but I'm, I want to do that. Like, that's that's my own personal thing that I want to do, go out there. And from time to time, me and my wife, we we may just, it's, it's sporadic. We see somebody that's in need, and hey, bam, there you go. You know what I mean? That's our that's our good deed for the day. Where if somebody, if any anytime, and I just feel like we need to do more of that, like people in general, right? We need to just do more of that. I completely agree. Yeah. And, you know, if it isn't coming from the top down, then again, uh, I live a life of there's no excuses, right? You make the the bed that you that you you sleep in the bed that you make. So if they're not doing it, and I wish they would, whoever the top down is, you know, you can insert this person, this person, this person. Yeah. That that still doesn't take away from the responsibility that we have. And again, that's something that the Torah really emphasizes is the focus on the individual doing good deeds sure we're part of a greater community and you need to have good leaders and you need to have good leadership and structures in place but ultimately it always comes down to you it's a choice that you can make there's a really really good book it's one of the best-selling books of all time it's called called man's search for meaning by victor frankel man's search for meaning yeah man's search for meaning it is meaning it's amazing it's an amazing book and the reason why it's amazing is because this is a man who went through concentration camps and he says, you know, he developed this um, idea of logotherapy, which in short is you can be stripped away from everything, but no one can force you to find the will to have meaning in your life. If you, c- It's always a choice for you to make the will to live and the will to find meaning. And, you know, God forbid we should ever have to come to a situation like that. But I think the lesson is profound. If you're living a meaningful life, then 
every day is filled with something good. You've got a pep in your step. You've yeah. got that, you know, you got that bright light on your face. You're motivated to do things. And I think that's something that, again, we can all do as individuals. This man's search for meaning is something we can all search for meaning. We can take a good look at ourselves in the mirror and saying, how am I going to be meaningful today? What am I going to do that's meaningful today? I guarantee you. When you do those acts of kindness for somebody, yeah. that has a major impact on your kids. It does. It's a massive influence. Yeah. More than anything you say, what you do and how you are influences them the most. And when they see you doing those kinds of things, you're instilling those values in their heart. And it's beginning, It's going to be part of them. And they're going to do the same thing for somebody else. Yeah. And I, I, I guess when I do it, I don't even think about it. I, I just more like, you know what? Because I used to be in that situation. You know what I mean? I used to be that guy. So... And I know more than anything that I was looking for is just some help. That's all I was looking for at that point. Somebody who just, just to help me in that moment. And then I'll get to the next moment. But to just help me in that moment was huge for me. And so that's when I, when I do that, that, that's all I'm thinking about. Because I know, I know what that feels like to, to not be, not be, um, not have the resources to be able to take care of myself. And, what I wanted to pull up, because you said something that made me think about this, right? Um, are you, have you heard of, uh, what is it called, Matt's Law uh, Hierarchy? Have you heard about that? No. Nope. So it's basically, it's a, like a, a pyramid, right? And it says on the surface, right, it's a, uh, or on the bottom level, it's all your, your general needs. Be able to eat, you know, um, have enough rest. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can pull it up. Okay. So it's uh, it it's Maslow, 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 M A S L O W, hierarchy, right? And the the theory of it is, is at the very bottom, you need to be able to somewhere to eat, you need to be able to somewhere to sleep, um, and just have the basic human needs, right? And then once you get that past that point, you go to the next level where it's um, your safety. You want to have somewhere a nice safety house. You want to, and so. I think for a lot of people where those bottom needs or you don't even think about those other needs because you have to, in order for you to move up the steps, you have to have every level fulfilled. Right. And for a lot of people like in low income areas, those bottom needs are not being able to fulfill. So you don't even think about the next person. You don't even think about the people next to you or your, your fellow man is because you're basically in survival mode your whole life. You're basically in survival mode just trying to figure out where I'm going to eat, where I'm going to sleep, um, you know, basic survival. And so until we, until those needs are met, those other needs about helping your fellow man and doing good for people, I don't feel like those those things could be done until, like you said, the root cause of the issue is is taken care of. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it's if it's I part, I kind of feel like it's is more like jobs or more because um, I I remember I used to play basketball um, for this traveling team. And um, one of the guys, he, he, he used to say, you know, we can go out and feed these people all day, every day. Only thing they're going to do is get their food, go back to wherever they came from, and then we'll be back next week and do it again. Instead, 
what we what they did what the guy did was he gave him a job he gave him an actual paycheck gave him that sense of pride again you know what i mean where they can now start providing for themselves and the impact that that had on them it was more than just feeding them for that moment you know what i mean it was more yeah it was more than just just giving them something to eat fill their belly for a little while then they have to deal with it it was a sense of pride that they, now they have. Now they think to go into a bank and cash a check, and that just that little bit of 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 help, but it's like they're helping themselves was like so big. And I feel like to in order to to actually really get to the root in the inner cities, we have to do something where it's giving them that sense of pride again. You know what I mean? I completely agree. You know, from a Jewish perspective, one of the ideas of charity is actually, it's one of the highest forms of charity that you can do is giving somebody a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think I forgot the line, but like if you teach, if you give a man a fish, then he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, fish, you know, he'll be set. And I think that's very, uh, that's a big deal. So again, these are things that, you know, if there's committees that like we were talking just a little bit before that can, you know, look at the issues that are really facing some of the, the you know, some of the core issues that are facing inner city uh, kids, youth, people in general mm-hmm. and see how you can help, again, get to the cause of it. Then, yeah, you would have you would be, you know, knocking two birds with one stone because now not only is the effect taken away, the cause is taken away. And that'll allow maybe not that specific generation. Next generation will look at it differently. Yeah. And then the next generation after that even more, etc. But this really comes back to, again, even if the person is in a situation like that, there are other people who are not in the situation like them. And that's where the, you know, helping your fellow man can come into play. Mm-hmm. And how are you helping? You know, a lot of people feel good. I gave this person a, a meal today, which is good. But if you can do one step better, you know, set up a, a job fair or, you know, find a way to get people hired, etc. That would be the ultimate. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then, like you said, that helps create a certain self-esteem and, and, and a certain pride. And, and that changes the whole trajectory of, of a, the person and their day-to-day and, you know, Instead of looking down here because they're stuck in survival mode, they can lift their head up and look a little higher and have a different kind of aspiration. Absolutely. The the one thing said that I, I really try to live by, the highest human act is to inspire, right? Said by the great Nipsey Hussle. The highest human act is to inspire. Okay. So let, let's transition out um, away from this. When sports, right? I know you're a big sports fan, right? Lakers all day. Okay, okay. You, what do you think they're going to do in this next round? Okay, so I think the Lakers, they're in an interesting situation. It's actually very similar to Portland. The, uh, how so? I'll say, like, because they have to deal with another dynamic backcourt duo. I know they weren't very dynamic in the last series, Westbrook and Harden, but they can be and they can go off. And the, and the, the Rockets were actually – they had a winning record against the Lakers in the regular season. Mm. So the question could, to me is how do the Lakers make sure that this team does not run? Fast break, they're in trouble because the Lakers are going to wear them down. They're big and they will just beat them up. The yeah. same way they did at Portland, they literally looked tired and they just took them out. That's going to happen if they can slow the game down. The other thing is, and this is something the Lakers have dealt with historically as a problem – the guards and the pick and rolls with the point guard or, or a smaller guard and having to switch off that, that has always been a problem for the Lakers. So if they can handle that, how to deal with switching 
I know they have the length, but are they quick enough to do that? And holding fast break, I think the Lakers they, yeah, should, should they're win gonna, that series. They're going to have to play like half-court basketball with the Rockets. And then they just have to beat them up inside, get them in, get them, um, their guys in Anthony foul. Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale, LeBron, they can all get in, yes. inside. But I, I think ultimately, you know, they also have to be able to shoot the ball. They have to be able to score. If not in this round, I mean, Caldwell, hopefully they win. KCP, yes, yeah. Danny Green, <laughs> yeah. Kuz, they all have to score and they yeah. have to make their shots. Um, to me, I think where everybody's been waiting for is the Lakers and the Clippers, and I hope that the Lakers take out the Clippers. I just think, that, unfortunately, as a Laker fan, the Clippers are the best team uh, in the NBA. They're the deepest team, and I think mm. uh, they've got the perfect NBA 2020 team where you know they've got tremendous length, perfect height, a lot of energy, so they're able to get all that stuff done. Um, ultimately, can LeBron and Co. You know, find a way to take him out. But you got to do one step at a time. Take care of Houston first, and then let's see what they do with the Clippers. Because after the Clippers dismantled Denver last night, forget it. I mean, yeah, I was hoping that wasn't going to happen, but <laughs> it happened. By the time this comes out, they should two games should be already played because this is going to come out on Tuesday. So, what do you th- what do you predict on Tuesday? The series will be one one. Yeah, one one. Wait, wait, I do. I think Houston. Really? Gonna, I think Houston's going to take one, and I think just like with Portland, it's going to light a fire under the Lakers, and then they'll they'll really uh, you know tighten the screws and, and come out with a, a series win. I don't think it's going less than five for sure. I think it's probably going to be six games. You can't you can't just say because the Lakers have certain pieces they're going to win. I mean, you have to play the games, and James Harden has shown that he can do all of that kind of stuff. And 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 you never know. I mean, what if Westbrook goes off again, and Eric Gordon's a good piece, and you know, Covington was hitting threes in his last game. I mean, so you you just you you gotta. I'm, I'm a pessimistic. Fan. I know, but, yeah, but here's the thing: it's a it's a when you get to the playoffs, it's it's about matchups, right? Yes. No one's gonna. No one can guard um, LeBron on their team. Nobody can match up. the The best matchup that they I think they have on that team is probably one of the uh, the Marquise brothers. Uh, what are the uh, Marquise Morris? Yes, the Morris brothers. The, he's probably the best one that on their team that could probably well he's on the Clippers right? Are you saying for the Rockets who against LeBron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, there I'm sorry. There is yeah, nobody yeah. on the Rockets that, that can really guard. deal with LeBron. I think um, um, it's going to be an interesting series because again, it's going to be a collaboration of a full team game. Again, there's going to be a lot of screens. They're going to screen the heck out of the <laughs> Lakers. They are. I yeah. mean, that's how they're going to have to. Space. That's how that's how they're going to deal with that 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 height and that length. That and they're just gonna try to run like crazy, but I think the same effect that happened to um, uh, 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 what is it, Denver with the Clippers that first game, they're just gonna be gas. So, the Lakers is gonna take game one, and I just I feel like it's but the Lakers have also shown that when they have a lot of rest, things don't look good. Yeah, you know, they were kind of lollygagging around in the bubble. Yeah. The Trailblazers were coming in red hot. I know that the Rockets are not coming in red hot. They did not have a good Game 7. But you never know. You really you really never know. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to be interesting, too, on the Eastern side. I mean, the Bucks are in real trouble. I, I would love to see a Miami-Boston Eastern Conference. Um, Miami-Boston, you like that? I hate the Celtics. I hate <laughs> the Celtics. There's no team or anything in the world I hate more than the Boston Celtics. But I do. I think uh, Milwaukee, I said this from the beginning of the season, they didn't do a good enough job of surrounding Giannis with talent. You can't tell me Chris Middleton is that guy. And, no. and Lopez has passed his prime. Bledsoe's a nice piece off the bench. They don't have a good enough team. 
And, yeah. and, and you can see, when you have a good team, that's always going to be one superstar. Look at the Toronto Raptors right now. I mean, they've made it into the playoffs playing a tremendous team game. Right. And Milwaukee does not have a good team game. They just don't. And I think Miami loves playing team ball. Jimmy loves. Jimmy they Buckets is, is, yeah. is just pouring it on. And Boston is going to overwhelm Toronto because, to me, Boston is what Toronto can look like with a star. Meaning Boston mm. plays a very good team game, and they've got superstars. Jason Tatum is a monster. Yeah. He's a monster, and he's got a lot of help. Kemba Walker, healthy, forget it. He's one of the best point guards in the NBA. So it's going to be good, and I, I think even whoever comes out of the West, don't tell me that slam dunk and they're going to win the finals because, to me, Boston's good enough to win the finals. They have a team. They've got the moxie, and they had the experience from last year when they were young and injured. Yeah, and they're back for vengeance. See, so I, I thought, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting. I thought I thought Milwaukee was I thought Milwaukee was definitely coming out of the East. I, I just thought, but now to see them struggling against Miami is like because all they do is isolate um, Giannis. Giannis. That's all they do from the top of the key, though. And it's like no, you can't because those people have to be cutting. They have to be moving around because all they're doing is just putting that wall right at the free throw line. And Giannis is struggling to get to the basket. I don't. I don't see why the coaches don't see that. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if the coaches do or don't. I've always wondered that. Like, why is there something that we're seeing that they're not implementing? <laughs> yeah. But I think you also have to understand there's a certain, you know, a psychology when you're dealing with with alpha males, right? And you got to know what you can mm. say and you can say what you can do and can't do. And and the fact is, these are the pieces that they have. So you're gonna have to try to figure out a way to make it work. And I just don't think they have the horses in the stable, per se, to make it work. I, I, you know, when we all said that, you know, the, the Bucks are going to come out of the East, and it was really with a big asterisk, a big mm. if, if the guys that they picked up can play, yeah. can play with Giannis, and, and right now they're not. I mean, there's a huge difference between regular season and postseason. There always is, especially when you're playing in the bubble. You don't get the energy of a home crowd or any arena and your own talent and your own energy is going to have That's to show up. And right. I just don't see that Milwaukee has the pieces for that. Yeah. I just hope the Lakers win the title. That's all. <laughs> That's all I care is this about. Gian- is this Giannis's last year? Did he sign? Did he resign? This? I think I think he's going to stay. I know there have been uh, some rumors of him going to Golden State. I hope he doesn't. I Golden hope he State. doesn't either. That's why I'm going to be an optimist. And I want him to stick up for a small market team. I think they can get pieces to help him. I think the East is going to be great if he stays because, um, you know, I think Philly's in trouble. They're going to have to blow that up and try to figure out another idea. The process failed. Yeah. And it's just really them and, and to me, Boston. Um, Mm. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yo, uh, Baruch, thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate this as well. Um, can you le- give your um, your social media stuff that people want to get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, I'm on Instagram as the Ramblin Rabbi, and uh, you can catch me there. You can always send me a DM. And, uh, you know, to me, again, it's always just about your choices that you make. You can always make the choice to do good, to help, to figure out a way to do something that will ultimately leave this world better than the way we came in. Good, man. Thank you. And I, w- I want to make sure that we stay in contact, man. Like For like, sure. Because I just think, you know, your network is your net worth. You know what I mean? If you're having good people on in in your circle, it can only elevate you. So I want to make sure we stay in contact. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Yo, man, this has been the Tap In Podcast. Thank y'all for tapping in with me. Holla.